It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane. Welcome to the Class Teaching Podcast, the Durrington Research School podcast. It aims to explore educational research and provide insights into how being an evidence-informed practitioner can support teaching and learning. Educational research does not provide a silver bullet, but coupled with teacher expertise, it can provide us with tried and tested approaches that the evidence suggests may lead to promising outcomes. In each episode, we will draw upon the experience of a teacher with particular expertise in the area we are looking at. Darrington High School is a large coastal secondary comprehensive school based in West Sussex and has been designated a research school by the Education Endowment Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at Durring Research. The purpose of this podcast is to help busy teachers like you connect with the latest thinking around ideas in teaching. In an accessible and easy format, we realise there is a wealth of blogs being published every week. The Class Teaching Podcast will start with me reading a blog and then spending some time with the author unpicking their thinking. This way you can listen on the drive to work or while walking the dog, rather than having to find the time to sit down in front of your screen during a busy day. Summary of the EES New Guidance Report, Teacher Feedback to Improve Pupil Learning by Fran Haynes. The EEF released their new guidance report, Teacher Feedback to Improve Pupil Learning. The aim of this blog is to outline the key points for busy teachers who may have to wait a while before reading the report in full. The report focuses on feedback from teachers to pupils and is defined as information given by a teacher to pupils about their performance that aims to improve learning. Feedback can focus on content, be delivered via different methods, be directed to different people and be developed at different times. When delivering feedback, it is crucial to think about opportunity cost. What other tasks may a teacher need to sacrifice to provide feedback? Is the cost to other tasks of teaching worth the time spent on feedback? The guidance report is divided into six recommendations. Recommendation one, lay the foundations for effective feedback. Feedback is what happens second. Effective initial instruction, including appropriate use of formative assessment, will reduce the need for feedback. Formative assessment is defined as providing teacher teaching that is adaptive to pupil needs and using evidence about learning to adjust instruction to ensure that learning moves forward. Recommendation two, deliver appropriately timed feedback that focuses on moving learning forward. Feedback should focus on the task, the process or self-regulation of self-regulation and not pupils. Feedback offered immediately after learning delivered up to a week after and delivered during learning are all associated with similarly sized positive effects on learning. This ambiguity means that it may not be appropriate for schools to mandate when feedback should be given. It is more likely to be productive to leave the decision to classroom teachers. In the the moment, teacher judgment is key. Previous research has suggested that comments are preferable over grades, but more recent studies indicate that feedback in the form of grades can be effective provided the pupils know what the grade means and specific ways to improve. This involves preparatory work as explored in recommendation one. Recommendation three, plan for how pupils will receive and use feedback. Factors that may influence a pupil's use of feedback include pupil motivation and desire for feedback, self-confidence and self-concept, trust in the teacher and working memory. 
A one-size-fits-all approach is unlikely to lead to positive impact. Teachers should prepare students for feedback by discussing the purpose of feedback, modelling the use of feedback by using a peer, providing feedback that is clear, concise and focused, and ensuring the feedback is understood. Planning time for students to respond to feedback is crucial. Post-feedback activities could include indicating to a student where improvements could be made, but asking them about how a class discussion of the feedback in which the teacher explores, clarifies and explains what needs to change, correcting errors and editing work, and completing similar work with the feedback in mind. Feedback should be used to plan the curriculum for next year, as well as tasks within the lessons. Recommendation four, carefully consider how to use purposeful time, purposeful and time efficient written feedback. Rather than focusing on the method by which feedback is delivered, Schools and teachers should ensure that all feedback fulfills the principles of recommendations one to three. Written marking can sometimes be conflated with feedback, but written marking is only one form of feedback. Written feedback can be useful if delivered effectively. However, extensive written feedback may have a large opportunity cost when it comes to what teachers could be undertaking instead, for example, planning or developing subject pedagogical knowledge. There is a lack of evidence over exactly what effective written feedback might look like. Suggestions drawn from experienced practitioners and the available literature include live marking, i.e. giving feedback during the lesson that is recorded in pupils' books, coded marking, thinking like the teacher, i.e. asking the pupils to preempt the teacher's comments and thus editing and revising their work, and providing written comments can be effective and worth the cost if they are well-timed for both pupils and teachers. Include useful information and the pupils have the opportunity to respond. Recommendation five. Carefully consider how to give purposeful verbal feedback. Verbal feedback is not simply an easy alternative to written feedback. Careful thought and consideration is still required. There are several perceived advantages to verbal feedback. One example of this is the conversational nature of verbal feedback. That means it can be easier to control how pupils receive the feedback. See recommendation three. Effective verbal feedback might link back to the learning intention include asking students to write down action points, take place using a visualizer, examples of work are shared with pupils as the feedback is discussed, and use of digital technology to video or record feedback comments where appropriate and useful. Recommendation six, design a school feedback policy that prioritizes and exemplifies the principles of effective feedback. The best available evidence on effective implementation indicates that the development of new feedback strategies requires effective professional development. Implementing or aligning feedback practices will need to happen in stages rather than as one big event. The following guidelines can help school leaders in beginning to construct a feedback policy. A is for avoid. Avoid the overspecification of the wrong things. Focus on the principles of effective feedback over surface level features that do not impact learning, e.g. the color of pen used. B is for be clear on your purpose. Feedback should be about improving pupils' learning. C is for the costs associated with feedback practices that they need to be carefully considered. Time efficient methods should be favored. D is for demonstrate helpful work examples of effective feedback, i.e. examples of what effective feedback look like in schools. E is for expectation management of pupils, parents, and teachers. This includes communicating feedback practices to pupils and parents and carers in creating a feedback policy that aligns with teachers' professional ideals. F is focus on the foundations of learning. This is linked to the principle that underpins recommendation one. 
i.e. that feedback does not work in isolation and is dependent on prior effective instruction. Following on from Fran's blog, Ben Crockett decided to unpick recommendation one, laying the foundation for effective feedback. Last week, the EEF released their new guidance report, Teacher Feedback to Improve Pupil Learning, and our research school assistant director, Fran Haynes, wrote an excellent blog briefly summarising the key points from the report's recommendation. The report goes to great lengths to note that the impact of feedback does vary, and therefore careful thought is needed to ensure that it moves learning forward. This thinking should begin well before the feedback is provided. The foundations must be laid. Before providing feedback, teachers should consider how they will elicit evidence of learning and how they can best clarify and share their learning intentions or success criteria. While there is limited evidence supporting any specific strategies for setting and sharing learning intentions, below are some suggested strategies that could be useful. Strengths and weaknesses discussion. This should involve sharing anonymized examples of other pupils' work with the class and using this as a base for discussion to create a rubric for successful work within the class. In line with the idea of laying foundations, such an activity is also highly worthwhile to complete with teaching teams. At Durrington, as part of our fortnightly department meetings, known as subject plan development sessions, teams will often share examples across the cohorts of what each teacher would deem to be an outstanding piece of work or ones with clear areas for development. This supports the whole teaching team come to a consistent and reliable consensus about what success should look like in a particular task. Model work. Share examples of previous people's work and discuss with the class while these are model examples. It is important to note that in some cases, you may wish to only show a component of the task rather than the completed task, so as to not overload students. While this activity may involve using examples from previous years, that have completed the same or similar tasks. It could also take the form of revisiting similar tasks completed by students earlier in the curriculum. For example, when observing Sam Atkins, Head of Geography, sharing the success criteria for a coral pleth map, his students were about to create. He asked them to revisit a set of maps that they had made in the autumn. Autumn term and use these examples. Their experience of creating these and the feedback they had received on them to create a clear success criteria for the ones being created in that lesson what not to write, otherwise known as non-examples. This involves discussing with the class a list of what not to write. This will often follow a presentation to the class of an incorrect pupil response to a task. Design questions. A strategy where students design a question and answer for a topic they are studying. However, this needs to be very careful, carefully guided from the teacher. Choose, swap, choose. An activity in which students complete a task multiple times and then work with a partner to identify which attempt was most successful and consider why. For example, the guidance report suggests how this could be used in Key Stage 1 by asking pupils to write the letter D multiple times and then determine which is the best and why. To conclude, sharing the learning intentions of a task, as the report puts it, provides a shared understanding of the concept of quality. Once this has been established, feedback can be effectively used to move students towards this. If this concept is not firm, then feedback is unlikely to lead to student progress. So I'm joined now by Ben Crockett, who has written the recent blog um, on laying the foundation for effective feedback. So thanks for joining me, Ben. Um, I thought, first of all, it'd be useful to sort of talk about um, uh, the, your blog, really, and, and the laying the foundations and you, what, what, what sort of inspired you. Yeah, so uh, obviously the blog really just stems from the, uh, the new EF guidance report on feedback. And, you know, as, as all of the EF 
guidance reports are. They're, they're a fantastic resource to go to to uh, find strategies for improving uh, your practice that you know are going to be evidence informed and supported by research. Uh, and what I particularly liked about the, the feedback one is its practical practicalities and its practical applications that it gave, you know, examples of what you could actually do in the classroom to make it better. And that's a common trait of pretty much most of all of the guidance reports. But I thought this one was perhaps particularly strong in that in that area. Yeah, and I think on, on that, um, the EEF have obviously produced a, an array of guidance reports, but this is this is the one, if you look at the EEF toolkit, that is number one. I mean, medical cognition and self-regulation has been been everywhere recently and that's the, the sort of second most uh, effective strand so it's really good that they've, they've timed it um, uh, to release it and, and to finally tackle feedback which is quite a, a difficult concept when it comes to research evidence yeah um, so yeah and yeah I think that point there about the the effectiveness of feedback or the importance of it I think you know, whenever we talk about any interventions that we we put in into school into our day-to-day -day practice, we've always got to consider that kind of opportunity cost um, that's associated with it, that anytime we do something, that is minutes taken away from doing something else. Um, and the research is quite clear that if we get feedback correct, then the time taken on that is most certainly an opportunity, not a cost. But you know, the guidance report pretty much states right from the get-go that we have to be aware that not all feedback works that the impact of feedback varies depending on how it's given, the quality of feedback's given, the strategies used to uh, deploy it in the classroom. Um, and therefore it's vital that you know, for every minute we spend giving feedback, that is time as teachers that we're not doing something else such as a high quality initial instruction. Um, and therefore we need to make sure that, that when we're giving feedback, we're doing it in the best way possible so that we're making most effective use of that time spent on it. Um, and let's be honest, we know that feedback is probably one of the things that takes up a large amount of workload and time for teachers, whether it's verbal uh, feedback, whether it's particularly written feedback. And, you know, the report does talk about that later on, not so much in, in the bit that I focus on in the blog, but later on talks about, you know, do we spend too much time doing written feedback for the impact that it actually has? And could we spend our time more effectively elsewhere? Yeah, and I think what, what you've you've mentioned in your blog, which is, is really a prominent message, and I think it sometimes gets um, sort of forgotten, is that prior to feedback, there needs to come effective initial instruction from the teacher. Um, and I think that's a, a really prominent place uh, to start when thinking of feedback. Like you, you've said in your, in your um, blog, the idea of the timing of feedback and feedback needs to be planned into your teaching. Yeah, I think when you're... Again, I can see this is maybe something that we don't consider that much when we're as teachers, when we're busy and we're planning tasks and activities and, and work for our students to do, is that actually, do we think about how we're going to be able to provide feedback on that work when we plan it? Um, you know, it's very difficult to retrofit feedback onto a task that's been planned without that in mind. And then you're suddenly trying to shoehorn some way of providing feedback onto it and it maybe becomes detached from the task, it maybe doesn't link to what the students actually completed. Um, and, and then it loses its effectiveness. So we need to think, okay, I'm gonna get them to do this. How am I going to feedback on that? Is it going to be written feedback or is it gonna be just you doing live feedback in the classroom as you go around? Is it going to, is the task gonna give you the opportunity to read over shoulders or is it going to give you the opportunity at the end of the lesson to take the books in, scan um, the answers and pick out maybe common traits or, or issues? There that you'd want to work on uh, and that one you said about you know what comes first i think it's really important to know that uh, there's there's a kind of 
quote in the guidance report that I, I kind of took straight out was this idea that feedback can only build on something and it's of little use when there is no or little surface information. Um, so you know, if what we do at the start isn't strong enough, then feedback is not suddenly going to make that amazingly better. We need to have that, that foundation in place to, to begin with. And, and feedback, you know, really we've got to make sure that it focuses on moving learning forward. So it needs to target those specific areas uh, or learning gaps that we as teachers identify through our formative and, and summative assessment. Um, you know, and that means that the feedback may focus on that particular task. It may focus on more generic areas of that subject, or it may be actually, in, in tying in with, you mentioned earlier, kind of the metacognition, it, it may be feeding back on actually students' ability to self-regulate themselves and, and to think about their answers and to monitor how challenging they found certain tasks. Yeah. And I think that, that point you've made there is a really, really important one, that if feedback is not going to move learning, learning forward, then it's not going to be effective. No. And I think having that message when you're thinking about what's the best vehicle for feedback to use, what is the important thing I need to give students feedback on here, is having that message in your, that, that thought in your mind that is this going to move learning forward? If it's not, then I need to think of a different yeah. way to do it or a different thing to complete. It's that on. opportunity cost analysis, isn't it? If, if it's going to take you X amount of hours to do written feedback on those work and actually the feedback isn't going to improve the learning, then that isn't time, you know, our valuable time well spent. And I think also another thing that we see quite often, maybe um, kind of wasted time in terms of feedback is feedback that focuses on people's personal yeah. characteristics. So you know, the, the report mentions this idea of, you know, you're a nat natural mathematician, um, you know, or, or feeding back on effort, like this is an excellent piece of effort in this work. That takes time, but actually is unlikely to make any impact on moving that student forward. Being told that you're a natural mathematician or you put excellent effort into that piece of work. Okay, it's nice and it maybe makes the student feel good and, and therefore we're not saying that it's something wrong to do because obviously we do want to praise our students when they're, they're successful, but is it going to move learning forward? No, yeah. or very unlikely. Yeah, and I think one of the things that the guidance report does and I, I found really useful is, as you said, with all of them, um, the first three recommendations are the principles for feedback, like the idea of the foundations, which we've touched on, uh, appropriate feedback and timing of that feedback, um, and then planning it into your teaching. And then the methods. And, and this bit is the bit that I, I quite liked reading, was the idea of carefully considering um, how to use the, the feedback, whether it's best to be written or verbal, and finding the right balance, like the opportunity cost thing you, you did mention, um, and not necessarily just giving students feedback on on the outcome or just the work in terms of the idea of self-regulation and using that formative assessment as a feedback strategy to question students to develop self-regulation. And one of the examples that that, that that sort of resonated with me being a PE teacher was the one in the guidance report where they're talking about the shot put uh, and the student throws their personal best um, and then the next throw only reaches half the distance. So the teacher's feedback there is, is questioning but to develop self-regulation. So the idea of why did you think that the first attempt was, was more successful? What have you done differently this time? So that the pupil can identify that, oh, I was holding the shot put um, in my fingers the first time, but the second time I held it in my palm. Um, and that self-regulation from the feedback is A, going to show the student the same sort of questions to ask themselves for next time, but the feedback has been used to develop self-regulation, but also with the underpinning theme of moving their learning oh, forward. And most certainly, and, and that's a perfect example of, of where feedback can both be on the, the subject, but also on the developing that student self-regulation and you know, that underlying purpose of, of moving learning forward. And it links also into the idea, you know, 
I've kind of mentioned the bloggers this idea that when we plan our tasks or activities, how are we going to elicit the evidence of learning so that we can then best clarify and share the success criteria? So obviously, you know, PE, for example, I know is always excellent with that. You know, there's a clear success criteria for something like shot put. You have a certain distance, there's going to be a certain trajectory of the ball, there's going to be a certain physical technique into it. So there's going to be a very clear success criteria. Um, you know, for subjects where it's more written, though that can be just as clear, perhaps needs a little bit more kind of discussion. And, you know, I've mentioned in the blog there about how we, you can use department times to really work with your teams to make sure that you know exactly what the success criteria for your task is going to be so that therefore your entire team is clear on how they're going to move people forward to, you know, I know, for example, Joe's in the PE department, you guys will often go out in your department meetings and one of the members of the team will model an activity if it's javelin throwing or shot put, and then you will discuss why is that a model example of it. That then means that as a team, you have a very shared understanding of what is excellence in that task or activity. And therefore the feedback to achieve that when students understandably may not always reach that standard first time around is really clear of this is what we wanted to achieve. How are we gonna move them forward to that place from wherever they get to on their own accord? Yeah, and, what, and alongside that, it's, it's that it's that formative looking at this is the complex task of the javelin and we're going to break it down into its composite parts. And then what we'll do is we'll identify that these are the tasks that we're going to use and the students will require feedback to move from one task to the next. Or when we put it all together, what are the common pitfalls that the students fall into? And then how can we address them? Is it going to be verbal? Is it going to be written? Is it a case of, right, everyone's made the same mistakes, we're going to have to do some whole class feedback? Yeah. Is it that this individual is the only one that's made this error? I can correct it with a question or I can make them think about this yeah. X, Y, or Z. Um, but I think what you, your blog um, is, is a really useful place um, to start because obviously, um, as, as I've, I've read already, Fran has, has written a summary of, of the guidance report. The guidance report itself is, is an excellent document to look through. Um, but what you're going to do um, is you're going to do blogs over the next few weeks covering all the yeah. rest of the recommendations. I right? think um, Deb Fried is doing uh, recommendation two uh, this week. So, yeah, you know, I think the, the report is fantastic, but obviously, you know, it's a, it's a large document and has a huge amount of information in and I think it's, you know, our plan would be to just try and summarise each of those recommendations to give people bite-sized chunks that they can maybe access and, and then obviously, you know, have a look at them and go, yeah, I'm interested in that bit and then obviously be directed to the guidance report to go into more detail into that area. Yeah. Um, like your, your practical examples, the idea of the strengths and weaknesses discussion, yeah. uh, the model in the work, uh, what not to write, designing questions, the choose, swap, choose methods, mm -hmm. really practical strategies where you've read the guidance report and then said, right, these are the elements of things to think about. Yeah, I really like that. The model work, you, know, you were just saying about the PE, there was once in Sam, uh, our head of geography, I mentioned the blog. And what I really liked there was that he was using a model work to set out the success criteria of what they were going to do so that therefore the feedback could be directed to moving all students towards that. But what I really liked was he actually developed alongside that some self-regulation because rather than him putting a model example up, he actually got them to think back. They were creating a coral perf map uh, in a geography lesson uh, in year, they were uh, year eight and he was getting them to think back to the coral perf map they'd done earlier in the year and what had been successful about that. What, what had they had to do to be successful at that task what feedback had he given them when they did it the first time round to get them to improve it? So he's going, so what did we not do the first time round that we then had to do better when we redid it? So he said, and then, you know, as a class they came up with, they, they cleared this kind of a, a success criteria of what was going to be successful to for this program that they were doing now in that task, which I thought was a really good example of 
modeling the work, but also getting the students to self-regulate and think back to their previous experience with doing a similar task and thinking back to the feedback that they got. Because again, what we can quite often see is that feedback becomes sort of compartmentalize it. So, you know, there's my task, I've got my feedback on that, I've improved that task, now I'm moving on to the next one. And I think we need to make sure that, as we said, it's about moving the student forward and, and moving their learning forward. But we want that to be uh, something that is sustained. We don't want it to just be that they get better at that task and they do that task better. But then when they do a similar task six months down the line, they make the same uh, yeah. mistakes or misconceptions and then we're giving the same feedback again because yeah. the feedback then obviously hasn't been as successful as we want it to be we want it to move them forward as a, a subject experts yeah. and it's like you say with with that that the, the feedback isn't an isolated task it's very much a case of i've explained this have i modeled this have i questioned the students on the misconceptions do they require any elements of feedback and all the way through it is metacognitive and self-regulated development those strands within the students that's intertwined in everything that we do so it's very much a case of feedback is a fantastic tool, but it's not something that's done in isolation. It's intertwined with one and everything. That... Exactly. Um, and as anything, Ben, thank you for taking the time to join me today and, and uh, very much a case of watch this space as we unpick yeah, the recommendations further. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Class Teaching Podcast by Durrington Research School. It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane.